Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Lamed Dalit, page 34. I want to talk about a small piece at the top of the daf um, on Ahmed Aleph, which is going to ask what's the rationale for Rabbi Yochanan Hasandlar. But before we ask what's the rationale for Rabbi Yochanan Hasandlar, we have to understand what is he responding to or what is his opinion lining up with. Basically, we've got a statement here that if somebody slaughters a, an animal on Shabbat or on Yom Kippur, right now that's not allowed on Yom Shabbat or Yom Kippur, and you're desecrating the day, right? But the the statement in the at the it's really at the top of the daf says the the shchita is kosher, and the point is that once that shchita is kosher, then you can eat the meat. The person who's done the shchita is might be you know liable all kinds of things, including perhaps even the death penalty if there was the proper witnesses and the proper warning and everything like that. So the gemara then says that this opinion is like that of Rabbi Yochanan Andlar. And now we have to understand, and this is where I wanted to get to, what is the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan Andlar? Why do we even think this? I'm sorry, let me go back and explain. Right, so the we've got a break that is going to give us the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan Andlar. Namely, we start out with a... Pre- with the case, right? If you cook on Shabbat and you do so bishogeg, right? You didn't mean to be cooking or you forgot that it was Shabbat when you went to be cooking. You can eat that food. If you did it bamezid, if you knew this is Shabbat and I'm going to cook anyway, so there, then you can't eat that food according to Rebbe Meir. That opinion is Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Yudomer bishogeg yochal lamotzei Shabbat. Bamezid lo yochal olamit. Rebbe Yudah adds in a time factor. He doesn't just say you could eat it. You have to wait until Saturday night then you can eat, but if amazing, if you did it intentionally, then you can't eat it ever. Rabbi Yochanan Sandlar, and here's our guy, Rabbi Yochanan Sandlar Omer, Bishogeg, Yeachel Motzei Shabbat Lachirim. He says, if you did the cooking, Bishogeg, if you didn't mean to do that cooking or forgot about Shabbat, whatever, you can feed that same food to other people Saturday night. You can't eat it yourself. Um, it says, Velo Lo, meaning not for him himself. If he did it in, intentionally, <clears throat> with again, where he meant to violate the Shabbat, then you say he can't, not only can he not eat it himself, he can't feed it to others ever. Not for himself, not for others. And then the Gemara says, My Tama de Rabbi Yochanan Sanlar. What is his rationale, Rabbi Yochanan Sanlar, for, for establishing? The principle here about feeding others as opposed to himself. Um, so we have an uh, explanation coming from the opinion of Rabbi Chia, which is as he, he taught it at the house or the opening of the house, the entrance of the house of the Nasi, which is a you know a nice vivid piece of how exactly people would teach sit and teach Torah or get involved in Torah conversation. And he cites Ushmartem at the Shabbat Kadoshi Lachem. We've got a verse from the book of Shemot, Exodus, right, that says you shall observe Shabbat because it is holy, because it is sacred to you. And the point being, the, the verse goes on to say, and if you don't keep Shabbat, meaning if you break Shabbat, if you profane Shabbat, then you are then you are deserving of the death penalty. Ma kodesh asur ba'achila af Shabbat, asurin ba'achila. So the fact that it says kodesh in that verse, the word holy, sacred, right, lines up 
this uh, prohibition or, or requirement for Shabbat lines it up with the idea of hektesh, kodesh, that which has been consecrated to the Beit HaMikdash. And the same way that eating something that is hektesh, that is kodesh, is going to be prohibited, right, if it's handled inappropriately, whatever, so too the the fruits of your labor, your of a prohibited labor on Shabbat, are going to be prohibited in eating, the same way that the hektesh kind of food would be prohibited for eating. The same way that, excuse me, the same way you can get benefit from uh, foods, <coughs> excuse me, from hektesh, you know, the sacred items are now off limits. So too, you can't derive benefit from the produce, from that, from, and the, that which is produced from a prohibited action on Shabbat. Um, the, the Gemara goes on to say, because it says, Kodesh, uh, it says, Kodesh ki kadosh hi lachem. It is co- it is sacred to you, and therefore the you you are prohibited from eating it. But you could, you know, therefore you could feed it to others, and therefore meaning you're not deriving benefit from it really in giving it to somebody else. You might be concerned about that, but the Gemara seems to think, or Rabbi Yochanan Sanlar seems to think, that this is going to be acceptable. Um, I think part of what's interesting here is. You know, the idea that we can have the, the I would say that the increasing level of specificity between Rabbi Meir to Rabbi Huda to Rabbi Yochanan Sandlar um, also kind of strengthens or tightens these bonds of what does it mean to have um, an outcome from a prohibited labor on Shabbat. And instead of saying like, you know, no matter what you've done, you can never use that ever. No, not one of them says that, right? The, there's a recognition that if you do something by accident, meaning where you have no intention of breaking Shabbat, then then there's going to be leeway to figure out how to use that, the what you have produced. Um, in contrast, if you've done it intentionally, well, then no, then you can't break Shabbat and get benefit from it. And I don't mean benefit in a technical way. I mean, and have, you know, have the use in any way, shape or form, because look at what you've done. But if you didn't even mean to break Shabbat, the halach is going to be more lenient. Obviously, the Gemara goes on to continue discussing this and the connection or the linkage that is made here between Shabbat and Hektesh. But I'm going to turn it over to you, Yordana. Well, you know, look, I think that this is one of these like sort of classic Ketubot passages. It has nothing to do with Ketubot. In fact, when is the last (laughs) time we talked about Ketubot? I don't even know. Um, But this is really one of the primary sort of uh, sources that we use, you know, in Hilchot Shabbat to have a discussion about what happens when you do something intentionally, right, b'mezid, versus if you do it b'shogi? And can you use the product of that action? So, I, you know, I just want to point out, this is kind of like a classic sugya, doesn't appear in Shabbat, it appears here in Ketubot. Uh, again, you know, sort of uh, with our theme that we've developed through this whole masachat of how many different areas of halacha can we discuss uh, that are not related to the actual uh, masachat that we're, that we're actually in. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly where everything about Ketubot includes everything else of Shas. Okay, I'm going to move on to Amud Bet. Um, and there continues to be a discussion about this issue of slaughtering a, an animal, stolen animal. And they get into an interesting statement of Rabbah, um, where he has this chiddush about the issue of fines, right? Like, let's say, because of an act of, of uh 
of uh, stealing, right? Uh, that you were a thief and you took something that wasn't yours, you incur a fine. But at the same time, you also incur the death penalty. Okay, you get capital punishment. And so I'm actually a little bit starting in the middle of a section here, right? But it says the 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 Azda Rabba Latame. So Rabba sort of follows his reasoning. And now they're going to give us what actually Rabba actually said. Let's say somebody had a stolen kid, right, in his possession before Shabbat, right? He stole it on Thursday, let's say. But he slaughters it on Shabbat. So remember, when we talk about stealing animals, right, part of it is, you know, it's the act of stealing. But there's a separate category if you steal somebody else's animal and you slaughter it, right? You have to pay a fine for that, right? Where you pay like five times, four or five times, depending on the animal itself. You have to pay more of the value rather than just the regular stealing where you just pay double. And it makes sense because by the act of slaughtering the animal that you stole, there, there's no way they can get anything back of it at all, right? So let's say you have this kid that you stole on a Thursday, okay? And you slaughter it on Shabbat. So you did a bunch of things wrong, right? You stole an animal, you slaughtered a stolen animal, and you did shrita on Shabbat, you did slaughtering on Shabbat, which you're not allowed to do. So you are chayev. And what do we mean by uh, chayev here? He actually has to pay the five times the principal here for slaughtering the animal, okay? And why does he have to pay the fine? Because remember, one of the things we talked about is sort of if you incur two different punishments, right, you always get the harsher of the punishments. You don't have to do the lesser of the punishment. There also was a discussion which was maybe, you know, it has to be sort of you did one well before the other. But here what we're talking about is, is that, you know, if you did the worst thing, which is violating Shabbat, maybe that's the only punishment you should get. And here what we're saying is no, because you did the act of stealing before Shabbat itself, just because you chose to sort of, you know, slaughter it on Shabbat itself, that's why you still have to pay this five times. That's why you still have to pay uh, this fine. But let's say he stole and slaughtered on Shabbat. He didn't steal that animal until Shabbat and then slaughters the animal on Shabbat. Pator. In that case, he is pator from having to do the fine right? Because if there was no payment for the theft, right? Because he, um, why? Because he basically is really just liable to get the death penalty because he, you know, he, he broke a law. He did a prohibited action on Shabbat. Um, and therefore his obligation to repay the theft is not a fine, right? There's no, he's not liable basically for the fine, for the, for the slaughter or for selling that animal afterwards. So, you know, if I think what Rob is sort of saying is, is that like, if it happens within the same 24 hours, yes, that's when the capital punishment is going to sort of supersede the fine. But if it happens in two distinct ways, like he does the act of stealing, and then he does the act of slaughtering, that slaughtering happens to take place on Shabbat, okay, then he would not be high of that fine. Then it goes on to say, but I'm a rabbi, he gives a second example of this. So let's say he stole a kid in his possession, right? Um, and he slaughters it in the in the act of burglary, okay? So what, okay, so what do we mean by this? So Habab Machterat is going to be a very famous sugya that we are going to learn later. And the idea of Habab Machterat is, is that if you, uh, if somebody commits burglary, 
there is an assumption that the person who's defending their property or who's being burglarized, right, essentially can defend themselves and could come to actually kill that other person. Did I explain that well, Anne? Anything you want to add about that? No, no, I'm carry on. Okay, so that, but, but we'll see that later on. Habab Machterat is, is a classic, uh, it, it's sort of a classic sugya, okay? So in other words, if he ends up killing the animal, right, through an act of burglary, he's chayav, okay? He has to pay the four, you know, he has to pay the four or five times of, of the principal because he already was chayav for the theft before he came to the prohibition of burglary. So in other words, if somehow he managed to kill the animal because he also was committing burglary somewhere else, he would be basically be chayab for both, okay? Um, okay, we read that part. But let's say he stole and slaughtered the animal in one act of burglary, then he is patur. Okay, so in other words, because the owner of the house is actually allowed to kill this burglar, okay, the burglar is actually has the status of somebody who actually is high of mita. It's somebody who back actually, it's like he already, he incurred the death penalty, okay? He can, he can die. So therefore, since that happened at the same time that he did the theft, and the slaughter and the selling, like all that sort of happened in the same moment. In other words, if he hadn't stolen it, there wouldn't have been slaughtering and there wouldn't have been selling, right? So in that case, he doesn't have to pay the fine. So Rabba sort of sets up two scenarios where you do have to pay the fine if sort of the stealing that made you have to pay the fine for slaughtering later on doesn't take place exactly at the same time as when you also incur a penalty of death. Okay, and so then the Gemara needs to go ahead and explain why does Rabbi need both cases? Right, it's necessary to teach both this because if he taught us only about Shabbat, right, we would say, okay, it's because Shabbat is really it's it's an eternal prohibition, right? That in other words, this is a very severe prohibition. Anybody who's ever accused of uh, or, or anybody who basically, you know, whenever a witness says that somebody desecrated Shabbat, they basically, they can be executed, okay? Um, about Machteret, right? But burglary, the Yisor Sha'ahi, that is sort of, a, a, it's a punishment, uh, it's, it's transitory, right? It's just at that moment. In other words, it only happens, right? It's only allowed that the homeowner is basically allowed to kill the burglar, so long as the burglar is on his property, okay? Um, and so therefore you would say, am I low? So you would say, okay, so in the case of Machteret, it's not the same as Shabbat, so maybe he still should have to pay the fine, even if he does the burglary and the slaughtering at the same moment. But if we only taught Machteret, right? We would have thought it was different because the burglary itself is forewarning. In other words, we know if somebody commits burglary, he knows that the homeowner is actually permitted to kill him, okay, without actually warning him. And so, you know, so basically burglary in a way is much more severe than Shabbat because in other words, for Shabbat, for you to get to get capital punishment, you have to be warned ahead of time. But for burglary, in that moment, you don't need any, you don't need any warning, right? Zohi hatra'ah, 
the burglary itself is the warning, right? You don't need actually any warning. The, the homeowner is just allowed to kill you as long as you're on that, uh, as long as you're there. That requires warning. So we'd say, okay, you have to pay the fine. And therefore we need both. So great passage of Rabbah. It gets back to this discussion of when maybe would you actually incur two punishments? Rabbah here feels that when it comes to the fines of slaughter, of stealing and slaughtering and also desecrating and incurring capital punishment, either through a desecration of Shabbat or through the case of Machteret, there actually is a case where you would have to do a fine and you also could be chayav, could be chayav mita. But a great explanation about why you need both cases really explains us what's unique about each of these halakha, right? I think the Shabbat one is pretty easy to understand why he would need to teach Shabbat. But I think why he needs to teach machteret, right? This idea that sort of like, you don't need warning. The homeowner just has rights to kill you. So just remember this passage. We, we didn't get into the full discussion of Ababa machteret, but you're getting a little bit of a taste of it now. It's a very, very interesting halakha. You know, we tend to be... a uh, this Judaism is a halacha that really stays away from killing. Like killing is not okay. And that's why Habab and Machteret is a, the idea of self-defense. It, it, it's a very, very fascinating uh, concept. Oh, for sure. And the permutations when we get there are all really interesting. But it's the eighth chapter of Sanhedrin, so we have a ways to go. Um, I just want to say Thank here, you. Dana, I, I think also... On it. I was hoping you were going to jump in on it. Sorry. <laughs> No, I didn't realize that was what we were it. looking for. Yeah. Um, uh, I, but I want to just say that I think that, that was my you've... hint before when I <laughs> anything you wanted to say. And Anne was like, no, you're doing great. I'm like, Anne, the sugya. Say where but, it appears because I'm no, obviously but, not remembering. No, but what, that's the sugya of Abba Mahterat over there in Sanhedrin. But what I think is particularly valuable about what you've done here and what the Gemara does here is to line it up, right? Meaning the Gemara lines it up and you've didn't unpacked it, I think, to show exactly how in what we call, you know, classic Gemara fashion, the Gemara has to kind of demonstrate itself, its rationale, why it's going to be including both this and also that, right? It's not enough to just posit it, right? It, we need to like, you know, get the rationale for each sign to be there to to put the comparison together. Um, and I think that this is also, you know, now as we're getting our way, you know, making our way into Ketubot, it is like a fine example of how the Gemara pre- presents, you know, get, makes its point. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rangus Reviews and all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.